0: Welcome to the Band of Brothers podcast. The current series we are engaged in is entitled The Man's Guide to Spiritual Disciplines. We're being led by Milton Redeker, the men's coordinator, Renee Rivera, and Eric Reed, the men's minister and married young adult minister at Houston's First Baptist Church. We also want to let you know about the men's retreat coming up in October 2nd and 3rd at Camp Choye entitled Unleashed. We'll be led by Pastor Greg, Steve Knox, our college catalyst, and Eric Reed, the men's minister. We hope to see you there, and we hope that this podcast is a blessing to you. Have a great day.
1: Well,
0: let's, get a, let's, let's get started. Uh, those of you that weren't here last week, I put a podcast. We have pretty much all the classes that we do. We, we podcast and we record them and then put them up on the web so that we recognize a lot of y'all travel during the week, and sometimes you're out on a Wednesday. This is a 12-week class. Uh, the odds of you being here all 12 weeks probably as students maybe it's no problem, but you know when you're out, you know traveling or whatever, it might be really hard. So I will send an email if you sign. Did everybody give your email to Milton? I've got it. You got my email. Mm-hmm. Yep. Wow. You got my
2: email.
0: Okay. Introduce real quick. Uh, Milton Rediker is our uh, men's ministry coordinator at the church here, and uh, he has been. You know, in ministry for, for several years. Uh, we inter- his introduction's on there from last week, but you're going to hear from, from Milton, who brings a ton of experience and wisdom of walking with God for a really, really long time. Um, I'm the men's minister here and also the married young adult minister. Uh, I don't know what I bring here, but, but it's all good. <laughs> and then uh, Renee Rivera, who uh, has a corporate job but, but has a real heart for men and has been doing uh, studies for some special forces men and stuff like that, has a real heart to challenge men. And so we felt like this would be a good mix of different perspectives and then for y'all to be able to, to contribute. But this whole idea of spiritual disciplines that we started last week, we, we talked about really what they were and what they're not, and that, that it's not us obligating God. That's not what spiritual disciplines are about. It's really a way that we can express our love to God. It's a way of us positioning ourselves to know him better. And, and so I want to I start with that. That was from last week, and we talked about the beginning point for us is God's grace. It's not our desire. It's not our effort. It's God's grace. And if you've you know, been around a lot of theology, then you obviously know the Reformation was a time that uh, the Catholic Church was really basically selling, quote, indulgences or selling an opportunity to be forgiven of your sins. It was something that you could pay for but if you read scripture, it's real clear we can't pay for our own baggage. We, we can't pay for today. Can't erase yesterday. And so the Reformation was a time that they said was God's grace that, that really gave us hope and gave us life. And that was in faith in Christ. And so last week we sort of talked about that's the foundation. And I don't want to pretend to know, well, I, I know where Milton is, but I don't, I don't know where all of us are spiritually on that whole journey. But. The, the next 11 weeks would be a real waste if you didn't have a connection spiritually in your heart with Christ, that uh, acknowledging that, that he's paid the price for your sins, that he has, in a very real sense, given his life as an exchange for yours. And Greg shares that, you know, probably at least once or twice a month from the, from the platform, from the podium here. Uh, I just wanted to say, if that's not for you, if that, that hasn't actually happened, I'd love to visit with you after this. I've got the whole evening open. Uh, just to talk more about that spiritual beginning point for us that's a spiritual discipline just kneeling down before god is a spiritual discipline today i wanted to to move beyond that and and to talk about the the motives that we can have for a godly life and i want to i want to take a moment and uh and, and really just share a a great love story and my wife I would love to say, by the way, I'm married. I've been married almost 13 years now. I've got four kids. Um, Two of them are in school. Two of them aren't in school. But I really fell in love. My first love happened, and it wasn't Renee Ryan, but she was in the fourth grade. But in the fourth (laughs) grade, I was on a wrestling team. I started in the second grade. I know I'm not built like a wrestler, but the beauty of wrestling is every body style can have techniques that work, and you just basically have to learn how to wrestle your style of match and not do what the other guy wants. So the shorter guys that were like one big muscle, well, for me, I I used my legs a lot. I used flexibility and technique, and and it all pans out. Uh, Tall guys, you have a lot of leverage. Uh, Short guy, he's got a lot of power. Uh, So wrestling, different techniques. It was wrestling, and we had a coach that his idea of discipline was basically to give you 100 laps around the gym, and the gym was actually sort of two courts, but it would be around the outside of that whole deal. And I, I remember distinctively i getting there late to practice. I didn't have to drive my car, I was in the fourth grade. I went right from the classroom over to the gym. But I took a detour with some friends. I ended up getting there late. One of my friends was late, two of my friends were late. And he said 100 laps around the gym. So we head out and we start running. Of course, he's inside the gym. My friends are more intelligent than I am. So as soon as they found the large air conditioning units with the fence around it, they actually sat down behind him. There's no way the coach was gonna see him. I am not as smart as they are, so I actually ran, and after about 20 or 30 of those laps, I I was tired, but all of a sudden I started actually getting this weird feeling, like I I sort of felt good, and I enjoyed it, and I finished out those 100 laps, and and that was I think the very first time I realized that I really loved running, and seventh grade came, and and that was the sport, you know, that was like cross country wrestling and track, And, and I loved running, and I ran competitively. And I've run until about six years ago. I used to coach. I had uh, three little back injuries and still have one, but uh, I'm not able to run anymore. And that's been really hard. But, but in running, there's lots of reasons people run. And, and there were three runners. And let's say those runners ran five times a week, each one of them. They ran every Monday through Friday. And they ran five miles every day that they ran. And you sat down and you talked to them and you're like, hey, tell me why you run. The first runner might tell you, well, I ran because my dad, when he was 50, had a massive heart attack and he passed away. And, you know, I, I don't want that to happen to me. One day I want to be able to, to see my kids actually go off to college and see my kids get married and hold my grandchildren and have a, have a good life. And the second guy, you know, might answer that, that I run, and this was one of my professors in college, you know, Dr. Moss, he ran the, he, I'm sure he still runs the Boston Marathon every year, but he ran, and his quote would always be, I run so I can eat whatever I want. So he ran, so literally, he loved pizza, and he knew how bad that was for him, but he ate a lot of pizza, and it was that double-crust pizza stuff. And and so for him, he ran literally so he could eat and drink whatever he wanted to do. The third guy, and, and Frank, I forgot to clutch you, man, so I owe you, but uh, yeah, no, the... Uh, the The third guy might answer something like I would answer, and that is that that when I run, I feel my heart beating, and I feel the wind blowing across my skin, and I feel alive. And when I run, I feel like it's the most primal thing that I could do. There's a rhythm to it, and that rhythm connects with me. And before humanity flew, before we could read and write, we were running, that running was something in the fabric of how we were made. We were made to run. And when I run, I connect with that. If you sort of boiled it down, the first two people, do they love running? One runs because he doesn't want to have a heart attack, the other runs because they want to eat whatever they want to eat. Do they really love running? No. No. What do they love? Food. They either love food or the reward of it, right? The only one that's really running because they actually love running. They just love the process of running, what that really seems like. That, that motive there is sort of the love of running. And in coaching cross-country, that's what I look for in people. I, I try to instill that in my runners. Is most people, running is a punishment. My wife hates to run because her volleyball coaches, that was their punishment for running. I mean, their punishment for anything was running sprints. So she doesn't like to run. And I loved it. And here we, you know, we get married. So she's coaching volleyball, and I'm coaching cross country and wrestling and track. And, you know, she doesn't like what I'm doing, and I I like what she's doing. But it was an interesting deal. But my first love was running. And I I share that because there are motives for godly living. And the first motive is, is, is called the way of wisdom. And in the way of wisdom, we say, well, God created us. Therefore, God knows what's best for us. Therefore, if I want my life to go really, really well... I need to obey him. It's sort of like having the owner's manual. And if you're an engineer, you know, maybe you're the guy that that you get that instruction book and you actually study it and read it and you could tell, you know, within five minutes of getting a product, you could actually tell all the features of it. You got the iPhone and and you actually began downloading apps and figuring it all out really quickly where someone else maybe doesn't, my wife never reads a manual. She'll basically give it to me and say, uh, can you set the clock and the timer on that and can you... And I'll, I'll figure that stuff out, and I like doing that. Well, that's, that's the way of wisdom. That somehow we obey God because he created us, and he knows how we should live. And now I'm not dismissing any of these, but I'm just sharing. These are different ways, spiritual disciplines, ways we do these. The second is called the way of trust. And this one's actually a pretty beautiful one. You know, it's, it's that God gave his life for my life. So certainly, certainly, I should give my life back to him. If he's, Scripture says this, that, that God is not going to hold back any good thing from his children, right? In the Gospels it said, What father, if their child comes to them, will give them a snake when they ask for bread? Or give them a stone when they ask for bread? Well, and he says, If you being earthly fathers know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more so does your heavenly Father know how to give good gifts to his kids. So the way of trust is a way that, that, we, that we can be connected. And then the way of, the way of gratitude is there, and, and the way of trust is, is tied in here. The, the way of trust is God loves me so much. The way of gratitude is God gave everything, so I owe it to him. I sort of blurred them together. The way of trust is I trust him. He loves me so much he's given himself. The way of gratitude is it's the least thing I could do. There are two negative things, and and for me, the the way of fear, I obey God because I don't want to go to hell. How many of y'all at at some point in life have had a little fear of God in you? I'm just out of curiosity. Okay? For some people, that moved them at some point in time. There's also the way of merit, which is I, I go to God for what he's going to give me, what's going to happen. It's a positive, like it's just the opposite of the fear. Those things are very similar to the runners. These three things together are really positives, in my opinion. But they're not complete in and of themselves. They still don't take us to, to what? They don't take us to the way of love, do they? The way of love goes one step further, and in that, I can wheel through there, and that I'm going to argue that the way of love is the greatest spiritual discipline, the greatest spiritual path, and that everything we're going to look at from here on out from prayer, scripture memory, Bible study, fasting, service, evangelism, tithing, silence, meditation not new age meditation, but really putting yourself into the word of God and, and sitting there and letting his word just come through your head and cleansing your thoughts of your struggling with temptation, that, that all of that needs to be rooted. It needs to be grounded. It needs to be an expression of this idea of love. So in here, I want to, I want to read a little quote from a, from a monk. It's, it's Bernard of Clairvaux. He was a pastor, a theologian in the 12th century. Here's what he says. And it's sort of old English, some of the words we we don't really use anymore. It says, we cajole the unwilling with promises and rewards, not the willing. Who offers men rewards for doing what they want to do? Do we pay hungry men to eat? Do we pay thirsty men to drink? He says this, if we demand a reward to obey God, we love the reward rather than God. Y'all connect that? If we demand a reward for obeying God, ultimately we love the reward. We do not love God. And so here's his final point. says, the soul that loves God seeks no other reward than that God whom it loves. Were the soul to demand anything else, then it would certainly love that other thing and not love God. Now I can't claim that I'm there, okay? <laughs> I can't claim that 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 the way of love is something that every day hey, it's a piece of cake, and every day I'm just full of love for God, and that just drives me everything I do at all. There are days, and I'm married, so uh there there's some things like a, I, I would I would fear, and my wife and I, I'm I'm 42, she's forty-three, we've got four kids. Uh, I've got a bad back now, so like I cannot be nearly as active as I used to be. The uh, we, We've talked about, uh, well, when am I going to get taken care of so we don't have any more kids? We've had this conversation, okay? I am afraid of having anybody grab a hold down there and snip it. I've seen the incisions. They're supposed to be little. It's not supposed to be very bad. I, I don't want to go there. However, part of my motive is... A fifth kid. Oh my gosh! I'll be like sixty-five when they go off to college. That's insane. How old's your dad? Fifty-six. Fifty-six. Yeah, pretty old. that's pretty old. I'm older. I guarantee. I'll be sixty when our youngest goes off to college. Right now. Um, what about you? How old's your dad? Fifty-one. See, that's cool. You know, your dad's not cool. No, but okay, I'm just kidding. But it would be great to be, like, 50, and now you've you got the empty nest syndrome going on. And then my wife and I are young. We're healthy. We can go around. But we're going to be, like, staring retirement in the eye with kids in college. And so we're, we're looking at that. And, and so it's a little motive of fear for me right now. Actually, it's driving the fact that I'm going to go under the knife in the not-too-distant future, although I really, really, really don't want to. That's more information than you guys probably want. I want to I let Milton unpack a little bit more about this way of love. He's going to share some things that it is.
1: All right. Thank you, Eric. Getting us started and getting our minds focused on the love of God and what is a godly man, I want to uh, share with you five things about a man who loves God of the gospel. Everyone in here, I assume, is a Christian, and you understand who God is. You know God personally. You've accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. And you know what John 3.16 is all about. But do you know what Second 2 Timothy 2.2 2 is all about? It says, And the things thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou unto faithful men, who shall be able to teach others also. That's your mission in life. That who you are, you should not only with your mouth show your convictions and tell your convictions, but by your very life. So I want to give you five things about someone who is loving God of the gospel. God of the gospel. Why would we even say God of the gospel? Simply because there are different cultures out there that believe in many gods. And so we as Christians are going to talk about, and we talk an awful lot about, the God of the gospel. Number one, men after God's heart return to God. I'll say that again. Men after God's heart return to God. And we can think of someone in the, the, the Bible who did that very thing. And if I were to ask you whose name comes to your mind of someone who really did bad things in his life, and you would not think someone today like that would even be a Christian or be a man after on God's own heart, that person is David. David was not only a liar, he was an adulterer, and he was a murderer. But he was a man after God's own heart. His mistakes did not cause him to leave his faith. And so that's a good principle for us to remember. We make mistakes in life, but because we make a mistake in life, either by our mouth or by our actions, we should always be a man after God's heart because that's what David was. Second, men after God's heart know that God saves us from the defects of our heart. God saves us from the defects of our heart. Timothy was a young man, and he made a lot of mistakes in his decision making. So much so that Paul didn't even want him around in the first part of his ministry. And he was a man after God's heart, and he knew that God would save him from the defects of his heart. Number three, men after God's heart know that God accepts you without performance. And without conditions. God accepts you no matter who you are without performance. Two of the guys in the scripture that really wanted to know what their performance was all about was James and John. Because they were arguing who's going to be on the right hand. Who's going to sit on the right hand of God. Who's going to be up there on the throne by Jesus. They were expecting God to accept them on the basis of their performance and their condition. Number four, men after God's heart need more than good advice. Every one of us in here have been, have been given good advice by parents or by a school teacher or by a coach. We've all been given good advice. But we need God to change us and deliver us from ourselves, really. And one of the guys in the scripture that we are very familiar with that was like that was Paul. He was a man after God's heart, and he he needed more than good advice from those that he was around. He needed God to change him, which we all know he did. And then number five, men after God's heart need to understand our culture's images of masculinity. Men after God's heart need to understand culture's images of masculinity that blind us to godly masculinity. And I would put every one of us in that category. Because our culture today is putting everything on the TV and everything you see and everything you hear is giving us a total different image than the Christian ideal of masculinity. Because God gives us very specific conditions and very specific principles of how we are to be as men of God. And if you are a man after God's heart, it won't make any difference about your performance, your accomplishments in life, who you marry, how much money you have in the bank, none of that makes any difference to God. I just did a funeral Monday for a very close friend who was not a Christian. You say, well, how, how could you be a friend to a person that would not believe in the God of the gospel? Well, very simply, because God tells us we are to accept all people of all races and all cultures. We are to love them because why? God loves them. And he expects us to show our love to him unconditionally because he has shown his love to us unconditionally. Renee is going to come and share with you at least two different kinds of men. See if you identify with either one of these, Renee. I do, as a
2: matter of fact. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, one of the things that we have, we have a tendency as, as we pursue manhood. I remember the book called Walter People like How many of you ever read the book? Walden Hart. It was a catalyst for me uh, for seeking biblical manhood. People, you know, have questions about Walden Hart and John Eldredge, but reality is he painted an incredible picture of men as they have an adventure to live, a beauty to rescue, and a battle to fight. And those three things gave me permission to pursue being a man. Right. Let me paint for you a picture of some extremes here and caricatures as as we in creation try to deal with God's creation and be a godly man. Or be a man, period. As, as Milton alluded earlier, there are a lot of influences on what a man should be. And now today we have pills to make us be even more manly, if you know what I mean.
0: Okay? Hey, hey I, I know nothing about them. Nothing about that. No, no,
2: no. They may be blue. <laughs> all right. Let's talk about the tough guy real first. Let's talk about the tough guy. I'm going to put some characteristics up here. How many of you all know tough guys at work? How are they at work? Do you know them at work? How are they at work? Used to be? Used to um, be? Go-getters. Go-getters? You know, I can take care of any situation. Aggressive. The good man in the storm. Any idea? We're talking bullies. Um, right off the bullies. The bullies. That's right. Bullies. Well, because of the way some people were brought up. You'll be like the people you hang around with. You'll be like the teachers who instruct you. Right. The case okay. closed. Simple the as Case closed. Could this be the coach, your high school coach? Sometimes. Coach. Um, John? That was some of the things they know
3: it all. That would be a tough person, too
2: know it all yeah you know they'd go back to bully and they would they would they would steamroll their opinion upon you well that's it can be let's talk of, let's promise. talk about those are the extremes this is a form of chauvinism guys it really is the tough guy mentality if you did if you did quest for authentic manhood this is the warrior face mm. this is the guy that's gonna get it done for you this is the guy that's gonna be the good man in the storm during hurricane Ike I was the guy on my street with a bunch of retirees going on roofs and checking roofs. I was the guy tearing down trees that were broken down, sawing down trees. This is the guy that's the good athlete. This is the Albert Pujols type of person, the guy, the clutch guy. Conversely, from a negative standpoint, he can be the bully. He can be the give him hell Hank. This guy intimidates people. He's the soldier in a good sense. He's also the bad soldier in the other sense. This is the guy that's no sissy stuff Sam. He won't kiss you. He won't hug you. because He knows guys don't do that. Period. This guy can also intimidate women. This guy's a bully. You don't want to be this guy. But in the good sense, the tough guy, this is me. You're looking at me going, no, wait a minute. You're not a tough guy. This is me. I, I lean toward this. This is the guy that protects the family. This is the guy. My wife says she is safe when I'm around. She feels safe all the time when she's around. I'm the guy. I'm the protector of my family. This this is me. I lean toward this. I lean toward this. And I have a tendency sometimes, everyone would agree, to be a jerk. I lean toward this side. Any any thoughts on this before we go on to the next one? The good provider. Thoughts on what that means, the good provider. Maybe you all know this guy. Spiritually, spiritually all, the all the way around. Follows the rules. This is the greatest generation that ever lived. They did things because it was. they went to war because it was the thing to do. They provided for the family. This is a guy that came home. He provides for his family, put food on the table. When he gets home, he checks out. This is my dad.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: My, my dad, disciplined doing the right thing, always there, but not there. This is the guy that says, hey, Dad, you weren't there. What do you mean I wasn't there? I was home every night. I was faithful to your mom. I gave you a car, food you didn't like for anything, but wasn't home. This is my dad. I love my dad, but this is my dad. 26 years in the military, followed it to a T. Five times, on one, on one hand, I can count how many times my dad threw the football with me. Do I hold that against him? No. No. He did what he could. He knew it's what he did the best. I don't, I'm not chasing a ghost today, but I, I, I teach Little League. Conversely, my mom's dad, my, my wife's dad, is uh, he threw the football, basketball, every night with his kids. I go, Eleanor, how many times does your dad throw the football with you? Every day. Shoot baskets every day. Throw the baseball every day. I'm going, how do you compete with that? As a dad, you can't. But he was competing. He was chasing a ghost. His dad died a bully and alcoholic. So conversely, this is, this is the guy. This is steady Oak Owen. This is the, this is, this is the guy that's always there. He's always going to be there. And if you remember, this is the king face Guy that this is the guy domineers. This, this is the guy that's morally right. Going to do everything um, uh, with authority. If that relates anyway, any way. I want to go back to uh, the, the tough guy real quick. This is The, the tough guy is the hyper-athlete. Going to win at all costs. Go get him! We know guys like that. I'm going to pass on to you the next two. I want to wrap up. I want to come back and, and help uh, Milton wrap these up here.
1: <laughs> Alright, Renee. Confession is good for the soul, huh? (laughs) Let me tell you something about the softer man. Is there anybody in Mm -hmm. here that think you're a softer guy? You're a soft guy. Anybody? I see one hand. A couple of you shaking your head, yes. When I first looked at this title, I thought, that's me. Because in high school, I dated a lot of girls. Went steady four times in my high school career. Married my high school sweetheart, and I thought, oh, that's probably me. I'm a soft guy. I like people to say, "Well, you're a good listener. You're a, you just want to kind of appeal to everybody." But look at the softer man real close with me. Softer man is thoughtful, gentle breed. He's a sweet nurturer. You know, you're doing fine, and always encouraging people. And this one I did not identify with. No guns in the house. <laughs> I have a lot of guns. <laughs> that, that's not me. So I said, oh, that's not me. That NRA sticker NRA. that is not cosmetic is actually because you remember? That's good. <laughs> um, yeah, I just, I just NRA. NRA. If you come to my house and you want to find a gun, just look under my bed. I have about four rifles and four pistols under my bed. So that's not me. He can feel your pain. The softer man can feel your pain. I understand your pain. You ever put your hand around another guy and say, I understand. I said, well, that could be me. But the next one says what he will receive and repeat new ideas. We'll receive and repeat new ideas. I used to think that the best way to get the word out about something that I wanted to do in church was just tell a woman. Telephone, tell a woman. Telephone. They'll repeat things in the paint and body shop. That's the beauty shop. <laughs> repeat all kinds of ideas. I said, well, that's not me. He hesitates to exercise authority. Well, that's certainly not me. I have six kids, and they all say, "Dad was Doctor No when we were growing up." I knew what the answer was going to be before I ever asked. No, you can't do that. No, I'm not going to do that. So that what that's not me. Uh, last, he's breathing air of feminism, anti-authoritarianism, echo awareness, and emotional expressivism. Whew. All that simply means, guys, the softer man gives in easy. Gives in easy. Now, who would I identify as the softer man? I have a brother that's five years younger than I am. He's the soft man. And as a result of always giving in easily to his kids and to his wife, his wife wore the britches in the family, as a result of him always giving in and never exercising authority, his oldest child, His son is a homosexual. And sadly enough, he started it at Texas A&M. That's where he learned it. He wasn't raised that way, but out of the fact that his dad was a soft guy, he became a homosexual. And his wife's name is Wally. You say, hmm, I don't want to be the softer man. Well, you could be the next one, the self-actualized man
2: you going to the softer man. If you're doing the quest or done the quest, this is the lover friend face. This is the guy from a positive standpoint that's going to be the friend, the Jonathan relationship to the extreme. On the other extreme, this is little boy Larry. This guy attracts women like a woman's attracted to this guy is like women attracted to this guy are like um, they attracted to him like a, a woman is attracted to an orphan. This guy is, is looking for a woman with a good job and a good house. He's a kid and he has a tendency to be soft all the time. He doesn't hold down a full time job because it's too stressful. It's a part time job. And this, he comes up with some crazy ideas like, since I'm a kid, I'll, I'll be the stay at home dad. He's, do- he's always being taken care of by his mom. That's the extreme. That's the caricature, little boy Larry. Okay? God forbid he's 40 years old still living with his mom. That's the extreme.
1: Well, the next one we want to look at is a self-actualized man. See if this identifies you. This one probably more identifies me than any of the others. Number one, he discloses his individualism. He's not shy about sharing his beliefs and his convictions. So he discloses his individualism. I believe this. I know this. I am this. I've done this. Also, this kind of guy locates his identity in his accomplishments. I don't normally do that. I've been around Eric for almost three years now. And he probably doesn't know very much about me as far as accomplishments knows. He does know I was in the ministry for, still in the ministry, but I was in a full-time vocation in church for almost 50 years. So this guy does locate his identity and his accomplishment. Also, he sees that there's more fun to life than material success. That's me. There's a lot more fun and a lot more out of life than material success. I grew up poor and didn't know it, because my dad never made a whole lot about things and stuff. Fortunately, I grew up in a Christian home. My dad was everything in the church except the pastor, and uh, he taught his four boys to be the same. So material success is real important to the self-actualized man. And the self-actualized man also fulfills his God-given potential. I feel like I try to do that every day. Every one of us never live up to all the potential that God has placed in us. Did you know that? We never live up to our potential. Why? Because we make mistakes. And when we all get to heaven, God's going to say, Well, I had this plan for you, but you made a mistake there. You made a bad choice. You made a bad decision. And so the self-actualized man really does fulfill his God-given potential. And last... This kind of man feels free to violate promises and cast off duties he no longer accepts. Are you a guy that can't say no? That's what that means, to cast off duties he no longer accepts. I was an old, older man before I really realized that all you have to do is just say no. I wanted to help everybody. I wanted to be everybody's friend. I want to help people out in life, but there's just so much you can do in this life and learn to say no. Renee, follow up on that.
2: You may know this guy. He's he's a good time, Gary. Everyone likes him. Um, He doesn't really commit to anything, but he's always there. Likes to be seen. Does the Houston Project thing and gives a lot of philosophical reasons why he's there and what needs to be done. Maybe a little bit of a bully, but in reality, he's a coward. Girls that are attracted to this guy like him because he's a good time. After they marry him, they realize he's really shallow. They want him to grow up. That's the extreme. Y'all know guys like this? I mean, it's definitely, I, I, I go back to this, feels free to violate promises. I, the Bible says let your yes be yes and your no be no. I wish that there were young men today that I I deal with on a daily basis would say no instead of hemming and hawing about why they can and cannot do something. Your word is your bond. Your Mm -hmm. word says a lot about you, about integrity and your character. Self-actualized man. Another thing, too, you know, this this man fulfills his destiny, understands what his purpose is in life. It, It may be a little fictitious. It may be a little out there. But there are people like this that have fulfilled this. And they may come across as shallow or distant. Let's talk about the godly man. All four of these characteristics, toughness, soft, um, I'm sorry, provider, and the self-actualized man can make up the characteristics of a godly man. Of course, we went to extremes. We took the extremes. As man in creation, we have a proclivity toward chauvinism and cowardice. The tendency to move toward an impish, or overly burdensome, or overly powering, overbearing man, uh, image of manhood. So, but if you take all the four, if you take the four characteristics and you apply them to our model, as I spoke last week, our model is who? Jesus. Jesus, Jesus Christ. God and man, man and God. The mystery of God and how He does that. Amazing. The perfect sacrifice. Enduring the cross. Endurance is a form of toughness. The three days, the six hours on the cross, wow. It took a tough individual, and I say tough individual, a tough man to endure the cross. Um, providing. Today, we have clothing. We, just, just how God provided for, for Israel when he brought them out of Egypt. God's overall nature is to provide for us. He cares. <laughs> he knows the hairs on our head. The number of hairs on mine are less. Okay, every year they get less. Guys, enjoy the hair now. Okay, um, but uh, so and then, but he cares for If he cares for the sparrows, he'll care for you. He provides for us. The softer man. Let's talk about softer man real quick, and let's define that. We're not talking about about a guy who drops and cries on the drop of a dime for you. We're talking about a person who's compassionate. This is the area I have issues with. Has anybody figured out why I'm a tough guy? I grew up with the name Renee. <laughs>
3: People <laughs> mm. make fun of it too. <laughs> oh yeah.
2: I have a tendency, I I I don't lean toward compassion. My BS meter is pretty low. My give a crap meter is down here. Okay? I have no tolerance for stupid people. I don't show compassion very well. That's an area where God is working me on on a daily basis to be compassionate. I'm not a bully. I don't I don't us- usurp my authority as a tough guy but the reality is when we talk about a softer man compassion is what Jesus showed the compassion to heal the ten lepers and only one came back and not to rebuke him the compassion to cry when Lazarus' best friend died compassion when when, when the sisters met him compassion the self-actualized man let's talk about that for a second Jesus knew God's will in the garden of Gethsemane he knew already what had to be done he got alone with God on 40-day 40 40 day stints in the wilderness. Went alone, intentionally got alone with God to understand God's will. He knew what his purpose was in life. There was no uncertainty there. Jesus Christ is our model when we come to a godly man. That is the
0: model, flat out.
2: There
0: whether whether we're talking about the tough guy, the good provider, the, the softer male, or the self actualized male, or, or Christ being the perfect balance of all four, all of these guys, and and we're we're a mix of all of these in some form or fashion, um, and we're going to ask all, when we break out into smaller groups, just to sort of identify sort of what components are are in your life right now, but but in this, all of this, these these men all have one thing in common outside of. Their third leg, I guess I will edit that. But that they're all men, <laughs> yes. But they have one thing else in common, and that is that they all live life. They all walk their journey of life out in the creation of God. That God is created, and they're living in that. And that that that's a discipline I want to bring us back to now is this whole idea of um, creation. And there's a there's a question up here, and that is. Is creation good, is creation evil, or is creation neutral? And and that question has been batted around a lot, and I'd like to have just a, you know, get y'all's take on it. Is creation good? How many of y'all would say, yeah, creation's Mm -hmm. good? Genesis, yes. Genesis. Okay, Genesis, yes. Is creation evil? What about those little poppy plants in uh, Afghanistan? Is that evil? You know, the The tsunami, tsunamis, right? Are those things evil, or is it neutral? Is is creation somehow the the created world? Is it is it neutral? that apart further. What are you thinking of?
3: Well, creation could be the trees
0: and the animals, or it could be the people. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Creation untouched by humanity is very, very good. God declared it good, right?
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Sickness, disasters, those things flowed as a result of human beings exerting themselves in the garden. Now, there are some people that don't take the, the scripture and say, well, that's just all metaphor and, you know, that's it. It's just analogies and metaphors. I, I do believe it's, it's historic, that there's a real Adam, there's a real Eve, that there's a real Garden of Eden, that there's a real Noah. There was a real flood globally, uh, that, that a lot of the fossil things that we wrestle with and that science hasn't been able to figure out is because the strata layers got turned upside down all over the world at the same time. And that, that, that created, in a very real sense, a, a lot of what we've witnessed from the, uh, from the Grand Canyon to some of the riverbeds that we see to, to things that seem out of place in nature. And we see those things. And we have an organization that meets here once a month called Greater Houston Creation Association. They, they bring scientists in to talk about the created order and evidences that we see for that. If you're interested in that, it's the first Thursday of every month, 7 o'clock to 9 o'clock at night. Um, Pastor Greg is doing a series right now in Genesis looking at some creation. Uh, There was a movie called Expelled with, uh, I think it was Ben Stein. Uh, Pastor Greg and I went out and saw that the first day it was out because we're both real interested in those things. I got into that in college because I was a new believer, and I was raised hardcore evolutionary mindset. And, And so it was... For me, I was having to defend myself in, in a free-med school you know, with professors that thought I was absolutely a, a you know a nutcase for thinking what I was thinking. And uh, for me, I was trying to assimilate this in science and try to figure that out, how they go together. But I, I want to read a verse in, in, in Psalm 19. And y'all can turn with me if you have your Bible to Psalm 19. And who's got a uh, who's got a good loud reading voice? I do. Who's a tough guy voice? <laughs> <laughs> All right, hey John. John, read read it out loudly and. What uh, verses? Start verse one. I'll just cut you off somewhere rudely, but just roll. <laughs> okay. Let me start now.
3: Yeah. To the to the chief musicians a son of David. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their, their line is gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end to the end of the world in them as, as he set as as a tabernacle for the sun, which is a uh, br- bridegroom coming out of his chambers and rejoices as a strong man to run a race
0: alright let's the heavens do what Declare Declare the the glory of God. And there's this idea that there's this word that's going out from creation. It says it spans all of creation. All of it. So whether it is we witness a tsunami and we sit there and we look at the devastation or we look at the devastation of a Katrina or an Ike or, or yeah, earthquake or a you know, tornado. Wherever you grew up, for me, where I grew up was in Tennessee, and it was floods and tornadoes. If you grew up here, it's hurricanes and flooding. I mean, it, it still reveals the majesty and power of God. I mean, scripture says that God is a roaring lion, a consuming fire. It doesn't say he's a butterfly, you know, or a dandelion. There's a power and a majesty to God. But the flip side is when we see a sunset, like like a day or two ago, we were, you know, my family we were together. My son noticed the sunset was just like pink and orange, and he was like, that's so beautiful, Dad. You know, it's like, yeah, it reveals the beauty of God. Maybe not his power at that moment. That might not strike fear in my heart. Like, you know, you hear a tornado, and if you've ever heard a tornado, there's fear. Your heart just, its adrenaline just gets dumped into your body, and you start getting, you know, anxious about, man, you know, where am I going to go or what's going to be left of the house after this thing passes. And and the same deal, though, it's not that scare, but it's this, wow. You know, if you've ever been to the Rocky Mountains, and you just go through there, and and you just see, it takes your breath away, but it's not out of fear. It's out of the sheer magnitude, splendor, and beauty of what you see around you. God's glory is being preached all the time in Psalm 19. God declares that creation is good. And so I'm going to give you some answers that really give us this idea of the relationship between creation and God. And and I want you to, we'll just read through them, and then I want you to, to sort of think, hey, which one of these is... Which one of these is? Does does creation hint of God? Does it reveal God? Does it conceal Him or does it tarnish Him? And there's sort of two worlds we walk in. We walk in the world of, of sort of our own being, of how we feel, what we think, what we've experienced, what we believe to be true. And then there's also the world as God designed it. There's sort of truth and then there's our version of the truth, right? And and so for me, you know, as a six-year-old, when our house went underwater, and we're leaving our house, and there's water in the street, and I'm six years old, and I was like, yeah, I, I was like sort of angry. I remember sitting there being angry at God. And it was like, it was in February. So Christmas, our toys still felt new. Lost all the toys, our family photos, stuff. All that stuff was gone. And yeah, I just remember even as a six-year-old, like, Sitting there, I didn't pray a lot as a six-year-old, but I just remember sitting there, sort of having a heart-to-heart with God, and then I sort of spewed that over to my mom and dad, saying, "Why did God do this? Why?" You know, they were trying to backpedal, and you know, oh God, just you know, what does a parent say? You know, my six-year-old asked me, and you know, I had to do a funeral. This wasn't this wasn't this month, but it was a couple of months ago. It was one of my friends, and they had a baby, you know, a very young baby that passed away. And as I'm doing that funeral, my kids are seeing me getting ready for that funeral, they're like, you know, where are you going today, Dad? You know, and I'm like, Well, I need you to pray for daddy, and I need you to pray for the Delaney family, and I need you to to lift them up. And and so we they see that they have those questions too. I think it's pretty normal. And so in here, you know, I I think scripture was real clear, right? What's the scriptural answer? Yeah, the best answer scripturally is B. It reveals God. That somehow in the midst of all that goes on, God gets revealed. But for you as a man, living life, whether you're a younger man or an older man, single or married, having great tragedy, or maybe nothing really bad's ever happened yet, you know, for you, where where is that? Where is God in that? And, and that's an answer for you to, to think about, because I think it's going to affect you as we journey out of here. The spiritual discipline, and if you want to turn to another one of David's psalms, is Psalm 139. And it's one of my very favorite passages of scripture. is almost side A of a really cool album and side B of a really cool album, and they go together, (laughs) you know, and David wrote both of these. David didn't write every psalm that's in the book of Psalms, but he wrote 19, and he wrote 139, and here's a guy that spent a lot of time in nature, he spent a lot of time underneath the stars and underneath the sky, and he saw the power of bears and the power of lions, And he understood the evilness of humanity. He stepped on the field against Goliath when Goliath literally was taunting, saying the God of Israel was nothing. And all the guys with the arrows and the spears and the swords and the shields and the helmets and the breastplates, the men, the tough guys, became like the soft men, and they stayed back because they didn't want to die. They (laughs) went And the guy that was the poet, the guy that played the musical instruments, and the guy that had a tender side and cared also had this beastly warrior side. And I remember the first time I read the scriptures to my son on that story. And there gets to be a spot in there that David takes a stone and he slings the stone. The stone connects Bam into Goliath. And God, out of his wonderful power, One smooth stone, one small boy, one sling, one shot, one giant down. And it wasn't enough that he would be dead. David, the poet, David, the musician, David, the artist, becomes David, the warrior king. He takes the sword, and I imagine it was in every ounce of his strength to lift the stinking thing up because we're told that it weighed almost 100 pounds, and he takes it, and he wham, you know, and he lops the head off Goliath, and my son loved that. He's four years old, and I'm reading that, and my son was like, read it again, you know, and I'm like, all right, Luke, here it goes, you know, and you you read that story again, and I'm, I'm sharing that because this is the same David that we're reading here. He said that he saw all of this creation as really beautiful and reminded him of God. He gets older, and he discovers that he does some things that maybe uh, aren't appealing to God. David made some mistakes, and we've referenced it already. And so David would like to run away from God. And part of his spiritual discipline is in Psalm 139, and here it is. He says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down... It's high, I cannot attain it. Now, here's where I want you to hear this idea of creation, because here it comes. Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not, is not dark to you and the night is bright as the day for darkness is as light with you. It goes on to say even in the womb you saw me and knew me. David had this real idea that wherever I go in all of creation I cannot get away from a created God, the God that is the creator God. Every act he did... And I'll tell you what, that these these four men, the four types of men that come together, they all walk in this creation. But here's the deal. The spiritual discipline isn't walking in creation. It's how we walk in creation. It's what we do with our life, walking in the midst of the tragedies and in the midst of the beauties that are around us. And if our life begins to be the love relationship, out of that... Out of that is what a spiritual discipline is, is that our life reflects God in the midst of walking it out. And the discipline with God's creation is how we connect with him, how we experience God. So Milton's going to take this next part here about you know, bringing that a little bit closer to home for us on God and creation and how we can experience him.
1: Well, how do you see God and creation in Houston, Texas? Traffic. Traffic. (laughs) I I had that down here. Traffic. You may not see it in its best form in traffic, but traffic uh, tries your patience. Mm -hmm. And uh, whenever I get in my automobile and get on one of the interstates, first thing I do is say, okay, God, I'm just steering this thing. You, You get us down the road safely. Because you're steering this thing. I know you don't want to be hurt, and I know you don't want me to be hurt. So guide this thing in traffic. How about NASA? Don't you just love the pictures from space? How can anyone see those pictures and say God did not do that, that it just happened? The only one that was there in creation was God. And the evolutionists try to convince you that we're accidents or we're product of evolution. Well, where were we? Who was there when evolution happened? So which are you going to believe, creation or evolution? And I say creation because it's all around us. Also, uh, here's two words that I bounced off for Renee earlier. How about integration? Do you see God in Houston in integration? say, well, I don't know with all the crime that we see in integration. But God put all of us here. He loves us all. And that teaches us that God did create those people. He created all of us. And also immigration. Immigration in Houston teaches us about the God of creation. How does it do that? Well, it teaches us that we are a global city, and there are people here from all parts of the world. And God created us all, didn't he? Well, what are some methods we can utilize to acknowledge God in creation? you ever thought about that some of the methods what would you say are some of the methods the, Tower of Babel. the what the Tower of Babel the yeah That's
3: all the different languages.
1: okay anybody else have any idea about the methods we can utilize to acknowledge God and creation let me give you my response to that I grew up on a farm and there's no better way I think than to really understand God's creation I saw animals being born. I even helped some animals become live in this world. I helped those animals come into the world. But I can take it even further than that. Is anybody in here married and have children and you've delivered your own children? There's nothing like it, guys. Whenever you deliver that baby and that baby that, that God created in his image and your image, And you've helped that child come into the world. You stand there in awe of God's creation when you deliver your own child. Also, uh, how many in here snow ski? Anybody snow ski? I did one time. Yeah. You don't have any idea about God's creation until you get up on a 10,000 foot mountain and look across, across God's creation. It is the most beautiful sight you've ever seen. I've been snow skiing since I was 40 years old. Mountain climbing, yes, John, does the same way. Earlier in my life, I said, I'll never go snow skiing because everybody comes back with broken legs and broken arms and all kinds of injuries. And uh, I went on one, and I came back home, and I said, we're going snow skiing every vacation and every time we can go. And I think I've been on every mountain in Colorado and New Mexico. So snow skiing, you get up there on the top and some of the most beautiful sights you've ever seen in your life. What about gardening? Anybody in here love to grow things? Watch things grow. You put a little seed in the ground. And what happens when you put a seed in the ground? It dies. (laughs) But when you plant something, I learned the principle on the farm that you get more than you sow later than you sow. That's creation. God's creation. Anybody in here been on an airplane? flown somewhere? Probably everybody in here has been on an airplane. You ever look out the window and look down, and all you could see is God's creation. You look out the window, and there's the clouds God created. The heavens and the earth declare his glory, don't they? So we understand who created our earth and who created us just simply by looking around us and the experiences we have in everyday life. Now I want to go back to Renee. Renee, are you ready, or is it Eric? <laughs> You're ready. All right. Come. Yeah,
2: it's kind of interesting you talk about the snow skiing because you know, I kind of have an affinity toward the tough guy. And uh, I blew I blew up my knee on the top of a mountain when I was skiing down. And uh, it was kind of interesting because uh, I skied down on one leg because uh, I was too proud to ride the, you know, so being a tough guy. There. So I, I want to show something to you. We, we we had this idea of of showing you creation and showing planet Earth these these DVD, these Discovery type um, uh, documentaries and had just have that running while we were talking about creation. But uh, a young lady friend of my of my wife showed me this video, and I want and, and Milton and Eric and I wanted to show you. It's about six minutes long, so so hang tight. It's a guy named Louis Giglio. I am not going to say anything more unless I speak for itself. Tell you how you can know tonight
4: that God will always hold you together, no matter what. It's by looking a little deeper into the human body. And it's a little protein molecule called laminin. That's about what I felt the first time I heard that. Long story short... The tour was winding down last time around. We were in Tyler, Texas. The night was over. A guy walks up to me. I wish I could tell you the whole story. It was so of God. Introduces himself to me. He says, how are you doing? I just want to say hello. I said, it's nice to meet you. He says, you guys winding the tour down. Uh, where are you going to go from here? I said, well, I'm on my way back home to Atlanta, Georgia. He said, well, what's next for you? I said, I'm going to be preaching the next two Sundays for my pastor back in Atlanta. He said, oh, cool. What are you preaching on? I said, well, the series is on the glory of God in the human body. He said, that's really amazing. I'm a molecular biologist at the university down the road. Give me your talk. And I was like, oh, wow. I wasn't quite yet ready to unload the talk for a molecular biologist, so I kind of stumbled through what I had and he's kind of being kind and gracious and like, uh-huh, that's good. And then he says, well, what's your big left hook? you got to have a left hook, a big finish, right? I said, I don't have a left hook yet. He said, oh, Louie, oh man, your left hook is laminin. <laughs> All right. And I'm, I'm totally blank on laminin. He goes, "Louis, it's a cell adhesion molecule, protein molecule. Do you know about proteins? I'm like, no. He said, Louis, cells organize into certain molecular structures, and that determines what protein there are. There are between 10 and 60,000 proteins in the human body. We don't even know how many proteins are in the human body. But one of them is a cell adhesion molecule. It's organized into this certain structure, and that tells the cell what its job is in the body. And this one is a cell adhesion molecule. And I'm like... Right. He said, no, Louie. It's like the rebar of the human body. The steel they put in the concrete, when they lay the foundations of things, it's that stuff. It's, it's holding your membranes together. It's the glue of the human body, Louie. It's laminin. you got to tell them about laminin. And I'm like, I promise you, I'm going home and tell them about laminin. And I'm sure when I do, revival is going to sweep across the church and probably around the world when I tell them. He said, no, 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 no. You've got to see laminin okay, let's see it. He said, no, no, no. You need to go look it up online. You need to go Google Laminin. I don't even know how to spell Laminin. Takes his card out. He writes on the back, L-A-M-I-N-I-N. I'm like, okay, I cannot wait to get to my computer and get on Google, click on images, type in Laminin, and I'm waiting, and these little thumbnails come up on the screen, and I'm like, wow. That's laminin, the cell adhesion molecule. Woo! (laughs) I am so excited. I am beside myself. I cannot believe what I'm seeing. I love laminin. I'm so fired up. You should see laminin, I guess. That's the thing, right? Okay. Here's a scientific diagram. of the laminate cell adhesion molecule that's holding your body together right now, okay? This is what I found right here. No, come on, that's crazy. That's just crazy. I just can't believe it. I emailed; I got back so fast, I'm like, wow, 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 what in the world? He said, you want to see an actual laminin molecule? I'm like, oh, no, man. The diagram was cool for me. I'm happy with that. Don't, don't bother sending anything else. I'm like, yes! And he sends me this image, an electron microscopic image of an actual laminin protein molecule. It looks just like this. crazy is that? That the stuff that holds our bodies together, that's holding the lining of your organs together, holding your skin on, is in the perfect shape of the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And immediately I'm thinking about the words of Paul in Colossians 1. You know this Beautiful passage where Paul's talking about the supremacy of Christ and the sufficiency of Christ. He says, for by him, talking about Jesus Christ, all things have been created. Things in heaven and things on earth. All things were created by Jesus and for Jesus. But then the next verse goes on to say this. It's crazy. And he, Jesus, is before all things and in him, that is, in Jesus Christ. All things hold together. It's right, it's right there. I'm like, of course they do. Of course they do. Everything holds together in Jesus Christ. And he goes on at the end of this paragraph and he just tells the story of grace. He says, for God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Christ and through Christ to reconcile to Himself all things. By making peace through his
2: blood shed on a cross. Wow.
0: Is that crazy or what? Laminan, man, that's awesome. Have y'all uh, have y'all heard of Louis before? He's I saw him do that at a Chris Tomlin concert. Really great, great communicator. What we what we want to do is let y'all get sort of break up into a couple smaller groups right now, and, and honestly, we got about 15 minutes in that, so obviously that's not enough time, so we actually put questions to ponder in the parking lot, but but you can start here and at least begin to talk. We're, we're getting ready to have a men's retreat October 2nd and 3rd. Uh, we're going to be outdoors. It's going to be at Camp Choye in Livingston. It's in the woods. It's beautiful. Um, if you're like me, it really is hard to see God in Houston. Now Milton, he does really good. That's why I asked him to do it because I don't always see God in traffic or immigration or any of that stuff. I sometimes miss all that, and uh, I see politics. You know, yeah. Milton does a good job of bringing it down to seeing where God actually has drawn people together and, and that his heart reaches out to people. I love that. That's why I asked him to do it. Um, but for us to say October 2nd and 3rd, to be out away from Houston, away from the hum of the highway— together as men, to hear from our pastor, uh, to hear from our college minister, Steve Knox, hear from me, but also to have opportunities with other men of, of every generation together. I think it's going to be a really powerful time. And so uh, that sign-up's going on on the web right now. I'll send a link out. Um, but what I'd like y'all to do is to take some time here and and just to, the, the caricatures of a man that were out there, whether it's the, the tough guy or whether it's the good provider or whether that is the... Uh, soft male or the self-actualized male or, or, or the Christ, the balance of all of it, you know, to sort of where do you see yourself in there? What components do you see of yourself? And then, if you ask people that know you the best, which one of those faces, which one of those men you really live out of the most? And, you know, Renee, you know, if you're married, you know that the bum, you know, bum deal My challenge to you if you're married is ask your spouse, ask your wife. Yeah, that really stinks. I a challenge. But, I, I mean, yeah, so, so, so that's our challenge. If you've got a roommate or someone that knows you pretty well, mail or, you know, it's like ask them, just to be brutally honest with you, say, hey, and if, if we need to send out a document with that on there, that helps you, we can do that. Uh, some of you that maybe didn't take the notes down, but I think it's a really good starting spot to identify where you are and how you're living life in creation right now. Because the disciplines are going to be a way we move toward love, and out of that, then position ourselves to know God more and live Him out more. If you don't know where you're starting from, you don't know where you're headed to. And uh, you know, so if you're in college, it's a great opportunity to, to just do some self-evaluation. And and if wherever Milton, is, you know, if, if you're on the other side of that and you're staring retirement in the eye, it's a really good thing to say. As I enter into retirement, am I am I? finishing strong or am I burning out, you know, and I know Milton's heart, man, his heart is, he wants to finish strong, finish the race that's here before him, and I see him doing that every day, and that challenges me and encourages me, so take a moment, and uh, we got some questions up here for you to look at, so, so, yeah, oh, yeah, so if y'all want to get in some smaller groupings. Thank you for joining us on this week's podcast. We would love to have you come in person. We meet Wednesday evenings from 6 to 7.30 at Houston's First Baptist Church. More information is on the web at houstonsfirst.org, houstonsfirst.org. Again, have a blessed day.